work in the psychedelic space, we are incredibly open and incredibly interested in the, the 5D, moving from the 3D to the 5D and moving to this beautiful version of this perfect version of the world. But it can't get there if we're ignoring the 3D, if we're trying to skip past the work. The psychedelic experience asks you to do the work, but the work isn't just the medicine. The work is also what comes after. It's the integration. It's the consistent integration because it's not just one day, it's not just week, it's a continuous integration of that experience, of those messages, of that wisdom that we don't necessarily have language for and then have to really digest in order to understand and bring down into this into the 3D. Hello everyone, welcome to the Modern Psychedelics Podcast, where our intention is to bring heart and intuition to the foreground of psychedelics. I'm your host, Lana. And I'm your host, Zoe. Together we are going to be taking a journey each week, introducing you to some of the greatest minds in plant medicine and psychedelics. Sure to ignite awarenesses and rememberings of divine ancient wisdom as we integrate psychedelics into modern life. So, let's journey. Brittany Simone is a wellness educator, speaker, and mentor specializing in breathwork, yoga therapy, and sound therapy. Brittany believes that well-being is our birthright, and as such, it is our responsibility to take an active role in our own wellness. Brittany is the creator of The Practice by Brittany Simone, a wellness and experiential platform designed to support the mind-body-soul connection. She's also the co-creator of The Work Podcast, a safe space to support the decolonization of wellness and spiritual spaces. In today's episode, we dive into Brittany's journey and how she was brought to the world of psychedelics as a tool for healing. Brittany educates us on the path towards more freedom for all in the psychedelic space, with specific actions to take in order to create a more inclusive space, such as how to speak about oneness while still validating the divisiveness and harm that's been done to marginalized groups. We also learn more about the connections between psychedelics and healing race-based trauma, and how the spiritual community catalyzed change for racial justice and inclusivity. This episode is incredibly powerful, so let's dive in. Hey everyone, so we are here today with Brittany Simone. Brittany is a friend that I have met and come across through just connections in the psychedelic and spiritual space, and we're so excited to speak with her today. Welcome, Brittany. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, we've been we've been trying to plan this for a little while now. So <laughs> can we just start off with you just telling our audience a little bit about who you are, what you're up to, anything that really feels relevant and that you would like to share with us today? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Brittany Simone Anderson. I am a wellness educator, um, uh, a DEI program manager at a yoga therapy space. Um, I am a sound practitioner and I'm actually studying yoga therapy to be, um, to bring sound as a therapy in, uh, for BIPOC in cancer care specifically. Um, but aside from that, I'm a sound practitioner. I dabble in the psychedelic space and I just seek to bring, um, more diversity, equity, and inclusion in, in the world, specifically in the wellness spaces. 
Amazing. And when you said dabbling in the psychedelic space, Brittany, uh, can you tell us more about that? Totally. So, um, you know, I, my personal history with psychedelics is probably, um, maybe it's the same as many people, maybe it's not, but, uh, I wound up in a relationship with someone who is somewhat of a psychonaut and, um, I had never really experienced psychedelics before and spending time with this person and wanting to sort of be in his world. I began to sort of experiment with psychedelics, but more from a, uh, more from a space of, of recreation. Um, and because my spiritual practices are so personal, um, we both sort of moved in towards the space where we realized that psychedelics uh, were better in a calm, um, more personal space. And so we began to evolve our practices from there and look at it more as a spiritual practice uh, and join it with sound, which is um, incredibly important to me. And yeah, and we just sort of had those kinds of experiences together um, or alone. And that brought me into working with, uh, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to use names here, but uh, David Shemesh, who was my sound teacher and also um, just brilliant when it comes to psychedelics and understanding what they do. Um, and he actually brought me aboard to do the yoga and assist in the sound for um, a, a retreat with this phenomenal company that I'm sure you both are familiar with. And uh, that's where I met uh, Lana a little bit later on. And yeah, just my experience has been just learning about it and learning how to use it um, as a spiritual practice and as a healing uh, medicine, and then wanting to to bring this more into um, respective BIPOC communities, but doing so um, in a way that respects healing and our need for collective healing versus um, as a sort of party drug. Can you remind me, you said you were a, you were a DEI program manager and a cancer patient. I didn't fully catch. Uh, yes. So, so a DEI program manager um, at Prema Yoga Institute. And that's actually where I'm studying um, to, to yoga therapy. Uh, and the the short term, not so long term goal is to um, to work specifically with BIPOC and cancer care using sound oh, as, okay, a, gotcha. as a therapy. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Therapy. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, can you tell us a little bit about how your personal experience led you into this DEI program manager position, um, and just a little bit more about that? Totally. So, I had been working. Um, and taking classes with Prema Yoga Institute um, for maybe about, I took a few months. I took a, a one big course and I knew that I wanted to study yoga therapy. Um, and I took a break before um, I went into the larger program. And when I took the break, I went and I traveled and led a few retreats. And then COVID happened. <laughs> the dreaded Rona. And we all went into quarantine. And so that gave me an opportunity to pause and really sort of decide how I wanted to move forward after quarantine was lifted, um, which, as we know, sort of comes and goes. But um, 
in that process, there was a resurgence of the BLM movement, um, specifically in response to a bunch of um, murders of of people of color, specifically black bodies, but but black and brown bodies. Um, you know, caught on camera, caught on film. And it was, it was a moment where the world really stopped and looked at and, and was no longer able to ignore um, what people of color have known for a very long time, which is that the police are given free reign to murder and not, um, and don't suffer really any consequences to it. And so it continues the cycle and with our, and with our last president, um, and I use that word with disgust <laughs> dripping from my lips, right? But uh, because our last president was, is a rabid racist, it really created a safe space for people to be openly racist and harmful. But what also came from that was an awareness that this virus of hatred was still alive and well and thriving. And so in response to that, many people reached out some people very genuine, some people just wanting to do the bare minimum. Um, but Prema Yoga Institute and specifically Dana Slamp, who uh, created and runs Prema Yoga Institute, um, was someone who really, really cared about that and had cared about that for a long time and was really showing up to do the work, not just to show that she is not racist, but to be actively anti-racist. And a part of that is hiring people of color and creating a a safe space for people of color to stand in their wisdom and teach about what, what we know. We know that yoga, for example, as a practice um, is what 5,000 plus years old and also has its roots in India. Some argue even that from before that it has its roots in Africa. I'm not here to argue that I'm not even sure about that. But what I do know is that people of color haven't been allotted the space to teach about what they know, specifically, you know, black and brown people teaching about things that come from their culture and their heritage. So at any rate, um, Dana reached out to me and asked me to stand in this position. She asked me first to teach a couple of, of um, workshops and then from there to take this position, which I gladly said yes. And it's sort of, that's sort of how I wound up in the position. And, you know, it's been interesting because some people are interested in actually doing the work in this space. And some people are really hesitant um, to show up for themselves. And some people are really hesitant to show up for other people. And some people are really hesitant to acknowledge that we live in a highly racialized world of which there is a, a racial hierarchy and white people exist at the top and everyone else slowly takes their place at the bottom with black bodies specifically at the bottom. Um, and for healing people that work in, in the healing arts who are wellness practitioners who work in healthcare have an incredible responsibility to be cognizant of their own biases and the systemic biases of um, of the medical system, and when we are not, we continue to perpetuate harm. And so, I again, I gladly took up this position and hope that 
there are more of these positions available. I, I personally feel like it should be required for any yoga school because to me, understanding diversity, equity, inclusion, understanding that your entire program is diverse, that it represents the people um, that created these practices, that it includes many other people of, of color, like the global majority in your programming, that the wisdom is accurate, not based on um, the rewriting of history that we've all experienced, but what what is true, that it includes an understanding of um, systemic racism and how it exists as um, how it creates trauma in, in BIPOC bodies and throughout the BIPOC experience, its own very specific trauma. It's imperative that we know that so that we can, it, that's to me um, a part of tra- being trauma-informed. So if we can really educate ourselves, then we are far more inclined to be better, to do better, and to prevent harm in the future. That was such a long-winded answer. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you definitely gave us a lot to chew on. And I mean, we could go in so many directions, but I guess to bring it to to psychedelics um, and to connect it to psychedelics, I mean, so many of the observations that you've offered us can also be really applied to the psychedelic space. Um, for example, you know, psychedelics did not come to to humanity in the 1950s when they started to be used in the West. You know, we have um, Iboga that comes from West Africa that has been used traditionally for thousands of years. We have um, all of the indigenous medicines from the South that have been used for thousands of years. And some people may even, you know, argue that this pharmaceutical attempt to um, pharmacize I don't know if that's the word. Some psychedelics is a form of colonization as well. So what are your oh. thoughts and um, observations of, you know, everything that you just said about yoga and trauma-informed healing? What are your observations? And just like a little check-in of of the current psychedelic space in North America. You know, oof. I have to say that I, I feel both excited for and disappointed in <laughs> the psychedelic space. Um, it's actually sort of one of the reasons why um, I began my podcast with my with my dear friend, because um, not specifically the psychedelic space, but spiritual and wellness spaces. And I actually put psychedelics in the spiritual space um, based on my experience. But you know the psychic, the psychedelic space has really left out people of color. Um, the modern psychedelic space, though, most psychedelics, many psychedelics, I should say, um, come from communities indigenous to to places where their bodies are black and brown. I mean, I don't know how to say that so gracefully, but you know, Right now, I think that because there is so much heightened awareness um, around our experiences as BIPOC, and then separately, are the trauma that we experience that negatively affects how we move through the world and makes it so that we are, uh, we the collective, we not we BIPOC, but 
how we move through the world or are or are able to be um, effective in our day-to-day lives. Um, you know, there is a rise in interest in, in psychedelics, but as is the tradition, and I can only speak to America, but as is the tradition, people of color have been left out. Um, and I remember marginalized people, actually, I should say, have been left out. So I remember when I did this retreat, um, where through this retreat, I got to know Yulana, I noticed as, as one, as a person of color typically does that there aren't, there weren't any people of color. There was one other person of color, um, and she wasn't an attendee and you know, I realized that there weren't any queer people there also. There just, there wasn't real representation of, of humanity and of people who are traumatized. And this experience was focused around um, veterans. And it, it's a beautiful program. And this isn't any shade um, to the program at all or, or to this company at all. They very quickly, uh, from my experience, remedied that, um, at least in the moment. But it was like normal for them to not e- to not have BIPOC and to not speak on it and to not or to not have queer representation and to not speak on it. And those people, I imagine BIPOC in general and queer bi- queer BIPOC and queer people in general have inarguably as a group the most trauma per volume because of the way that our colonized heteropatriarchy exists throughout the world. So I would love to see more programs like the Sabina Project, more companies like the Sabina, or organizations, I should say, that create safe spaces for BIPOC, invite BIPOC in, and also have practitioners, more practitioners that are BIPOC leading um, retreats and courses, um, because, because we're not represented and we really should be. And our, the type of, of, of trauma that we experience on a day to day is separate from PTSD, but actually mimics the same symptoms and is only just be con- being considered its own its own syndrome, right? Race-based traumatic stress syndrome. So through the use of psychedelics, we can really heal ourselves, but we, and we are, this is why I'm hopeful when I see and I come across organizations like the Sabina Project, the Ancestor Project, which I think is actually a part of the Sabina Project because it is an invitation for BIPOC to step into A, the healing medicines that come from our cultures, and B, to have a safe space to heal from specifically race-based trauma, but also from our day-to-day traumas that are the same as everyone else's. And C, it reminds people that we need to be included as well because there is a market there. And this world is highly motivated by money. Thank you so much for sharing, Brittany. And thank you so much for educating us and for being a leader and a voice in this space. And as you were speaking more about the changes that you would like to see in this space, 
what is your vision for the future? What would you like to see happen in our world? Or what do you feel like is the path towards more freedom and more sovereignty for all? Mm. Um, you know, that's such a, a deep question. I'm not even sure if I can really answer it because I feel like it's an evolving question. Um, if you look back to like the not so long ago, like 1960s in America, and there was the civil rights movement, right? And we had um, Dr. King and Malcolm X and a whole Angela Davis and a whole host of other um, leaders seeking to create uh, radical change and balance. If they were to look ahead to now, you could argue that this would have been a potential dream. But I mean, I also think that they had a larger vision than this, than the world that we live in now. But freedom for all looks like, at least to me in this moment, collective acceptance and joy. Freedom for all, I mean, really, really looks like resilience because a part of me is gravely aware that to be human is to experience trauma. I mean, to be born is its own trauma, right? I don't know if you are familiar or you've heard of this, but there's trauma even coming through the birth canal. And I learned once from um, from a doctor that the water breaking is is an evacuation of of your the the embryonic fluid, but the the baby begins to suffocate basically, and so there is this um, immediate awareness that the baby has to get out. And that's where the baby comes barreling out because there is an understanding that it needs to, to get out in order to live. <laughs> right. So the, the birth itself is incredibly traumatic to be human is to be born through trauma. And that's okay because there is, uh, there are many lessons here and, and in this life. So to say, or to look at a world that is without trauma is to not be human, I would imagine. So ideally, an ideal world would be a world that really minimizes some of the day-to-day traumas. And we can do that through collective love and acceptance. Um, we can do that by creating space at the table. We can do that through um, holding each other up, slowing down, not being so having enough support, I should say, because you can't really tell someone that they can't be so focused on money if the rest of the world moves through money, but to, to, for the world to have enough, for there to be safe spaces for us to go when we feel overwhelmed for, I mean, it's almost like too much for my brain to even think about. Um, But ideally it would just be a place of collective love and acceptance where we supported one another and we had enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's a beautiful vision, Brittany. And as you were speaking, you know, I, I couldn't help but think like, yeah, it to be human is to have trauma. It's so true. And the, I guess the reframe that I can offer on that is, you know, we can choose to view our trauma as an opportunity to catalyze it and to um, transform it into something that can work for us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like that's something that you're also very passionate about. 
You know, you you just shared this vision with us about your your vision for how the psychedelic space can be more inclusive and diverse. And I'm wondering, what are your thoughts around how the psychedelic community or even the spiritual community that we are dealing with today, how can these communities really help catalyze change for racial justice, social justice, inclusivity? Tell us, what are your thoughts? I love this question so much. Um, It actually like brought joy to my heart. Um, You know, we can start by talking about it. I think that we are so afraid of being, we the collective, we, we humankind are so afraid of being uncomfortable and talking about looking at facing what is ugly. I remember learning a while ago, I think I was in college when I learned that what you see on the news in America is highly censored in comparison to what you see on the news in many other countries. Because we, as Americans at least, um, are a bit more fragile (laughs) and shouldn't see the horrors that exist. But to see the horrors, to know that they're there, to see the, the the actual effects of war, right, for example, is to know that they exist and be able and willing to change. If you don't know something is there, if you're just looking at out the window and unaware that there is a mess in the room behind you, you won't ever clean up the mess. The mess will still exist and potentially it'll grow. And I feel like that's the world that we live in, a world that is refusing to look at the mess. You know, I feel like in the psychedelic space, we are incredibly open and incredibly interested in the the 5D, moving from the 3D to the 5D and moving to this this beautiful version of this perfect version of the world, but it can't get there if we're ignoring the 3D, if we're trying to skip past the work. The psychedelic experience asks you to do the work, but the work isn't just the medicine. The work is also um, what comes after. It's the integration. It's the, the, consistent integration because it's not just one day it's not just week it is continue one week it's a continuous integration of that experience of those messages of that wisdom that we don't necessarily have language for and then have to really um digest in order to understand and bring down into this into the 3d but the what we can what we should what the psychedelic space should be doing is showing up talking about it educating each other about it, trying to create more inclusivity, going out of one's way to create an inclusive space, um, making itself available to to BIPOC communities. You know, there's so much we can do. There's so much room for growth. And because we're just so used to things being very homogenous, it is uncomfortable for a lot of us to shift our perspective, to um, look at our biases, to look at the rooms that we're in, to notice that there aren't any BIPOC or queer BIPOC like present, to then say, how can I make this space more inclusive, to then reach out to communities? Because in the beginning, it may perhaps feel inauthentic, or it may feel like something we're taught to not be, it may feel like charity or whatever, 
however it, it is uncomfortable. Um, but it is the start of the new norm. What is real is that the world that we lived in that was very homogenous and, ve- and was very segregated no longer exists. And that is a, the, one of the gifts of globalization. So now the psychedelic community has to catch up to to some of the other communities. I mean, wellness spaces are now really expanding. I mean, even the healthcare system is slowly becoming cognizant of its biases. So the psychedelic community is, it is very progressive. And so with that in mind, it just has to reflect its actual progressiveness and its actual ideals of creating unity and, um, and doing the work and representing everyone and, wanting to be the thing that brings us all forward, right? It's the psychedelics are the thing that can move the needle forward in relationship to consciousness. So if, if the psychedelic community is to evolve, it has to include BIPOC, especially because many of the medicines, again, come from the lands and the people that are BIPOC. Brittany, thank you so much for sharing that for people who really do want to create safe, inclusive communities in the psychedelic space. Um, what are like your top three action items, like actionable things that we can be doing hmm. based on everything you just said? I love that. Okay. So one would be to seek out um, communities that, that you know experience trauma. All right, so seek out BIPOC communities and queer communities um, to and invite them into the space. Two would be to create more safe spaces that are led by these marginalized groups. Um, there are plenty of, of people working in psychedelics that are BIPOC or that are queer um, that would gladly hold space. Um, hire those people, pay them more so that you create a safe space for um, for for BIPOC and, and queer people to uh, heal. And then the third would be to, I guess the third would be to do quite a bit of research um, on oneself, on, on, on why one carries certain biases and why one's norm looks one way, on why we're so used to excluding different groups and see if you can do something to change it. Right. It's, it starts with oneself. And I think that's also how we move the needle forward. It starts with really recognizing our own biases. And because we've all internalized, um, white supremacy and racialized oppression and, and other types of oppression, we all have these biases. I mean, even as women, we've, we've, um, we really internalized, uh, like this male supremacy, this, this, patriarchal mindset and we have to undo that in our heads and we think only a man can do that right or i can't do that because i'm a woman and then once we begin to recognize those little thoughts in ourselves we shift and change and we become these like badass boss babes the same is true for for uh people in the psychedelic community where um who are who are typically white or white bodied or white presenting or have some form of white privilege how can we create more open spaces what are, what are my biases? How can I shift them? Mm, so good. Thank you for offering that to our community. So as we're having this conversation, 
Um, well, first of all, I just want to thank you so much for being here and, and sharing with our community thank all you. of these things. Um, I guess one thing that I would really love to hear your thoughts on is, you know, in the spiritual space, we often hear, we often hear this idea, you know, we are all one, we are all one. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I think is rooted in a lot of spiritual dogma. Um, how, first of all, what are your thoughts around this and how can we really talk about this idea while we'll, while still validating some of the divisiveness and harm that's been done to certain groups of people that maybe don't feel like we're all one? Ooh. <laughs> well, you know, that exact phrase to me um, is, is very layered because in truth, we are all one. And that's the beautiful thing about our human experience is that we're never alone. We are deeply connected to the next person. And every choice that we make has this ripple effect, right? The butterfly effect. Every time I buy an avocado, it affects the grocer. It affects the farmer right, or the delivery driver, right? The person that brings the avocados from, from really from Mexico, right, up here. In his family, it affects the the farmer who, if you've watched that show Rotten on Netflix, you'll realize that there are avocado cartels, right? Which is, it's not funny, but there are like actual gangs surrounding avocados because of the value of avocados, right? It literally affects people that we will never know. Me choosing the avocado greatly affects the livelihood of someone potentially, right, in Mexico. Um, and... <sighs> And if we understand that everything we do has an effect, everything we do affects everyone else, then we understand that we are in fact all one. But that being said, we are also greatly disconnected. Like I said, I'll never meet that avocado farmer in Mexico. I'll never know his name or his children's name or his family's name. And I'll never know the driver that drove the avocados from Mexico to the grocery store. And, and you know, I may not even know the man that owns a grocery store. Uh, we are all separate. We live incredibly separate lives. And we probably all have very separate racial identities, even within those four uh, different groups, right? Those four different livelihoods. The understanding that race is a construct is wonderful. Yet it is still a construct that we live in in the same way that capitalism is a construct and money is a construct, right? But we still, we still live within the confines of these constructs. So unity consciousness is magnificent, but it's only part of the experience. It's the deepest part of the experience. And you can't, you can't, you can't get to the core of the apple without cutting through the skin and the flesh, right? The unity consciousness is the core, the seed of the the seed of the apple. People are trying to to, especially with the use of this unity consciousness, and we are all one. It feels like they're trying to teleport into the center of the apple. That's not how you get to the center of the apple. You have to cut through. You have to go through the outside. It is wonderful, but it is also incredibly damaging. It is when used as a weapon to bypass 
um, the experiences and erase the experiences that anyone else has, um, it is harmful. So it would just be wonderful for people to understand that, yes, we are all one and our experiences on this earth as humans are incredibly interconnected yet individual. And so every choice that we make affects someone, whether we think about it or are aware of it or not. But the choice of, of the clothes I buy affects people. The way that I wear my hair affects people because I need product and I need, you know, it just, or, I, or it makes a statement, right, for someone else. A little girl sees me on the street and she feels like she can wear her hair in her Afro style and that's wonderful. You know, every choice that we make has a phenomenal effect. So we are all one and we are all separate. So if we can live in, if we can live in both of those truths, we just have to understand both of those truths. And then by acknowledging both of those truths and living in both of those truths, I think, I think that's where we find balance and, and, and that's a refined evolution. I will also say that that phrase really was a catalyst for starting my podcast with my friend, Laura, because the community that we were in used to use that as a weapon. I don't want to talk about BLM and the protests because we are all one and it just is creating divisiveness. Well, not really. Thank you for sharing that, Brittany. And in just addressing that spiritual bypassing, what are other common ways that you have observed people people doing this in the spiritual and or psychedelic communities? Have I experienced them bypassing? Yes. Or um, like what are some common spiritual bypassing phrases or terminology or things that you've come across? Mm. So we are all one is a big one. I'm living in the 3D is a big, or I'm sorry, I'm living in the 5D is a big one. Um, let me think what else. Um, any Anytime someone says that by discussing race or politics that we're being divisive, but I feel like there are many phrases that we hear. I can't think of any more right now, of course, of course, how convenient. But there are so many phrases that I hear every day that just speak to um, one's inability to acknowledge the world that we live in now and just wanting to skip ahead to what's beautiful and comfortable. Um, and the most, the most damaging is also just to say that we're all one or that, um, which is, again, we are, but it's the equivalent of saying all lives matter at this point. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you for shining a light on that and giving us some examples. And then moving forward from that, right, whenever we might hear certain terminology or anything based on what you've just presently shared with us, what are ways that we can acknowledge and validate people of color in this space to create the change that we wish to see in the world? Well, I like this question. Um, You know, it's... It's, it's just about opening up one's perspective um, on the experience and not telling someone of color that their experience isn't real. Um, I think that much of the experience that Bi- experiences that BIPOC have have made us exponentially more resilient than potentially other groups, and that's, that's okay. Um, but I think that... I think that... It's almost unimaginable um, the experiences in our day-to-day life and, and the day-to-day stressors that we have on top of 
um, on top of the regular stresses that that white body folks face as well. And so because of that, it's it's almost easier to just not believe because how could the world actually exist like that? Uh, how could the world actually exist? The world is supposed to be beautiful and it is, but but parts of it are incredibly challenging. And that challenge is exacerbated by, um, by the existence um, of a world that is steeped in white supremacy. So for me, I think, really the best thing to do is just believe black people in the same way, or I'm sorry, BIPOC people, because it's everyone of color. Um, Believing us is the first step and then challenging the status quo and just challenging like how, how one thinks. Like, I think that we don't even realize the teeny tiny little thoughts or even like knee jerk reactions we have to BIPOC, you know, don't don't ask BIPOC to do things for free. Pay them what you pay a white man. Um, you know, like hire them. As, assume that they know just as much, potentially more, because we've had to show up in in a way and be louder, um, smarter than many of our counterparts in order to be thought of as as average. Right? We have to we had to prove ourselves time and time again. So consider that there is so much wisdom. And then also there's a lot of wisdom in this and in, in a different perspective and a perspective that comes from living in a different body. And most importantly, don't just be not racist, be anti-racist, read lots of books on what that means. Consider black authors, consider, consider Asian authors, consider Latinx authors, like consider indigenous authors, really vote and, and make noise with your choices because that's how we move the needle forward. At the end of the day, we are a capitalist, borderline capitalist planet. I mean, I know there's a couple of exceptions, but we are a money-driven planet and we make the loudest noise with our money, with our dollars. So make choices that are pro-BIPOC, that are pro-queer, that are pro-marginalized communities so that you tell the rest of the world, the powers that be, that you do value value all of us, that we are all actually one, and that you're going to show it in your choices. Mm, so good. So good. And it puts the power really into each individual's hands. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm loving this conversation because I'm an Aquarius and I could talk about like philosophical ideas and concepts all day. Um, but I would hate to end this podcast episode without hearing a little bit more about your experiences, Brittany. So I would love to hear how have psychedelics played a role in um, healing race-based trauma for you personally? You know, um, it's still a work in progress um, because race-based trauma is something that exists in in our day-to-day lives as people of color, even from just seeing people that look like me murdered because they look like me on on you know in the trials of of the people that did the murder, you know, it's like it's a work in progress. It's but it does my healing journey has first begun with rest and then begun with psychedelics. And it's almost like this this back and forth is rest psychedelics, rest psychedelics work. Rest psych but like relearning um, how, how I care for myself. And I have to say that psychedelics have really shown me that because it, you know, in my, in many of my experiences in many of my trips, I've had to evaluate how I look at myself and how I care for myself. 
and how that affects, how that has that, that butterfly effect that we talked about. Um, as I represent what, what mental hygiene means for our communities, um, you know, our communities have been historically suspicious <laughs> and um, anti-therapy. Um, and I remember when I told my mom I was going to therapy when I was in college and she was a little shocked. I mean, she's, she was a little shocked and she still like would not go to therapy now, you know? Um, and when I told her that I was using psychedelics as a support to my own mental hygiene, you know, she wasn't really big on it. And she obviously has lived through the Reagan administration, which really painted, painted a negative and inaccurate light on psychedelics and the use of psychedelics in any sort of space. Um, so now we're just sort of like the psychedelics community is, is doing this like <laughs> catch up, right? Because the, the medical systems that are, you know, they are what they are, have to now acknowledge that psychedelics have helped people tremendously. Um, but, but in relationship to me, um, it, it really is just about creating the space that I need to have these journeys, creating the space that I need to rest, creating the space that I need continuously, right? It's not just like one experience. It's not just like for me, in my opinion, doing like, I, I've never done ayahuasca, but for example, like doing ayahuasca once and then leaving it, it's like, and then just expecting that to have done the healing. It's like, in order to to be my best self, I have to really show up for myself. And a part of me doesn't really enjoy journeying because some of it is phenomenal, but some of it is really uncomfortable. Um, and, and that's okay. And, and sort of growing okay with that. But um, also psychedelics have really supported my self-love journey, I should say, because in looking at how I care for myself and learning how to better care for myself and my mental health, um, to me, that is one of the greatest forms of self-love is to care for your yourself and to really take care of yourself. And then from this, it really does show other people that it's okay. And when you see that reflected back in the world around you, then it creates more safety to continue. So for me, it's been this like, long-standing journey and my journey i should say also is primarily with with psilocybin and with mdma um you know but those experiences have been just overall really healing i don't microdose i dose <laughs> and i dose um when i'm called and i listen to the calling because there's so much wisdom in my body and learning how to trust that wisdom and trust myself has also been a part of my journey that i've learned uh through psychedelics and yeah, I just, all of those things, learning to trust, taking time to rest, sitting with psychedelics, sitting with myself, integrating the wisdom, doing it again, putting it, bringing it out into the world. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you for sharing that. And for also just highlighting the wisdom of the body and listening to your intuition and with the psychedelic journeys coming to this place of bringing your power back within and really stepping into your own worthiness and acknowledging that self-love is so important in 
in our journeys, in our growth, in our transformations, because each time that we move through something, we step up to a new level within ourselves. And listening to you speak today, it's like you can just hear this this earned wisdom because you've been through it, you've healed it, you've really integrated the lessons. And I want to ask you for anyone out there who's who's listening, who's looking to incorporate more of these self-love practices, do you have any any words of wisdom or any specifics that you might share to people who are perhaps integrating healing past trauma through psychedelics? Just remembering, uh, thank you for this question, by the way. Um, Just remembering that the healing journey, the self-love journey, which is a healing journey, um, it's not linear. I, I don't know how we got into this mindset where we thought, okay, I'll do it and it's done and I'm good and it's fine. But that like, it is an effort. You know, I grew up with an eating disorder um, and it was incredibly tough and yoga actually helped bring me out of it, you know, but I, you know, did yoga and found yoga and found myself. And then because things aren't linear, I contracted again, right? And and I had to go through that and then find myself again. And and I've been in a place where I've been much better for a very long time. But you know, the how I see myself and my body is still there. And so relearning how to just view myself was like is continuous work, right? This the the healing journeys and the self love journeys and um the recovering from past trauma journeys, just when you think you've got it, just when you're like, I'm there, <laughs> I'm better. You realize, oh, what's that? That's the old trauma coming back. And it's something that you hadn't realized. And that's the beautiful thing about it, right? It's because as you dig up the muck, you find a little treasure, you pull that treasure out. And then you, if you keep digging, you'll see that, the tre- that there's something else under there. It's this constant thing that is really a lifetime. And like, how fortunate are we to be able to find that ease and that relief? Because as we were saying earlier, to be human is to be, to exist in, or to experience trauma time and time again. And that's okay. I mean, trauma is just a stressor that our body has yet figured out how to deal with. It doesn't mean that all traumas are okay. Many traumas, most traumas are horrific, (laughs) but as we build resilience, we build wisdom and we develop wisdom and we build a deeper understanding and therefore compassion for other people. Right. And, and, and then we can use that compassion to better support and just hold space. And if we were able to collectively hold space for each other's pain, eventually, eventually those people stop the, the, the cycle of harm, right? Because harm uh, is passed down from generation to generation. And so the result of harm is the result of a trauma that someone else has experienced that they are now putting onto someone else. And so if if we can just create safe spaces for each other, we can really minimize trauma down the line. And I think that one of the things that, one of the reasons why we're here is to make the world better. I mean, what a gift to be called to to do something better to be better. Um, one of my, my friends um, and, and guests of, a, of our podcast, um, Dr. Rosia has this program called um, 
decolonial shadow work. And it's all about doing the internal work. I think we can just do our own shadow work (laughs) and like show up for each other and understand that it's, listen, it is not going to be easy, but that is okay. Like it's okay. It's okay. We're going to make it. We just have to trust in the process and support each other. Mm, So beautiful. Thank you, Brittany. Um, So you mentioned your podcast. As we all know, podcasts are not something that you just commit to on a whim and you have, you've started a podcast, you've committed to a podcast and um, it's called The Work with Mm -hmm. an E, The Work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's a safe space to support the decolonization of wellness and spiritual spaces. Yes. Tell us a little bit about this podcast and just the podcasting journey, what it's been like to speak to your guests. Just speak on that for a little bit. Oh man, we've been so fortunate with um, phenomenal guests. Um, I'm I'm really honored. But the the podcast itself, like I was saying before, was sort of created around um, my friend. She's my best friend, Laura Chung, um, and I were both in the same um, overlapping wellness spiritual communities. And we just found that with the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement and I mean, it also came around with the with the onslaught of like anti-Asian violence. You know, there was so much happening in the past few years um, that we what we thought was a safe space turned out not to be. And not just for us, for many of our, our friends that were of color. And we all, you know, slowly, safely exited that space. But that space was like a micro version of the macro, right? Where we saw within many spiritual and wellness communities that that there wasn't any concern or care. There was lots of that bypassing. We're all one. Don't talk about race, racist, divisive. This isn't really happening. Um, you know, even the harmful behaviors like people saying that the virus didn't exist and traveling down to like different countries and not even realizing because because that unity consciousness didn't really exist, um, that understanding of true unity consciousness where they were then getting the people in the community sick, right? You've traveled down to Mexico and because people need money, they still show up to work, the local Mexicans, and then they get sick and they pass it to their families, only they don't have the same health care and they don't have the same access and they don't have the same finances to support their access. So then they... Are, are harmed, right? But seeing that kind of lack of true love, lack of, of, of love and compassion was what, what, what made us want to just start talking about it. Because at the end of the day, many of our choices and our behaviors that can be harmful come out of ignorance. Some of the ignorance is willful, but most of it is just a lack of real understanding or ability to understand what exists. And so we, we developed the podcast because we love people. And it was this love letter to humanity. If we love each other, if we really love each other, we have to undo the chains, the confines of harm and, and the systemic harm. How, do, how, do, how are we harmful and not realizing it? And there are ways that I've learned that through through speaking with my guests and learning from the community that I am that I am causing harm. You know, I'm not an expert um, on on life. <laughs> I'm just ex- an expert on my experience. But learning that that 
in making certain choices and buying certain things and and participating in certain things that is perpetuating a certain type of harm that I hadn't considered was magnificent. And we have so many just, I mean, just, just experts, um, people that have created micro change and people that have created macro change. Um, and just sort of seeing that and be, being able to see and experience the world from someone else's eyes um, has been incredibly helpful. And for me, it's created, in my opinion, tremendous growth. And so for our audience, it's just a desire to create a safe space to learn, to unlearn, and to show each other we love each other by listening to each other's experiences and then choosing to do better by doing less harm. What a powerful and beautiful mission, Brittany. You can really just tell that you're speaking directly from your heart space. And I just wanted to thank you again for sharing everything that you have today, like truly from the heart and truly from doing the work and integrating it and sharing with us all how we can grow and change, evolve and transform and just open up our hearts, right? Just as you were speaking about it, it reminds me of something I saw recently on, on Instagram. It was like, uh, playing off of it's it's hard work, but it's it was saying it's heart work. We're all here <laughs> doing this work from our hearts to mm-hmm. heal and create more space so we can come back to remembering and to treat each other with love and kindness because we're all on this journey, this experience called life. And mm-hmm. yeah, so in addition to the work, where can people find you or work from you, work with you, sorry, or yeah find you, uh, work with you or learn more about you? Uh, well, I'm on Instagram at Brittany Simone, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-S-I-M-O-N-E. Um, my website is BrittanySimone.com. Um, and you can just simply email me info at BrittanySimone.com. Um, but yeah, I'd love to work with anyone and everyone who is looking to support themselves and, and through wellness and through understanding. Amazing. Yes. And Brittany is just such a well-rounded, multifaceted, multidimensional, I don't know if I want to use the word healer, practitioner, but you just really know a lot of different modalities and the way that you pull them together is just so unique. So Brittany, thank you again for being here with us today, for sharing from the heart and for really just sharing your voice. We can't thank thank you you enough. All right. So we're going to wrap this up here. Thank you all for listening. And we will definitely catch you in the next episode. Thank you so much for sharing space and growing with us on the Modern Psychedelics podcast today. Come join our community on Instagram at Modern Psychedelics for more expansive content on a daily basis. And if this episode sparked something within, please let us know by leaving a review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify. This really helps to catalyze the psychedelic renaissance. The work begins when you come back down to earth and we're standing shoulder to shoulder with you doing it. 